Father in heaven, as we open up this topic here today in this new year, 2016, we're asking that you can open up our eyes, help us to see that those who are with us are greater than those who are against us, and we can rightly march forward with Jesus at our head. We pray in his name. Amen. Years ago, I was at Medford, Oregon. I'm going to use this one as I walk away. And in, in Medford, Oregon, 2006, Jack Cologne had his own Revelation Now series of meetings, similar to what I had done in 2012, years later. And I remember going to those meetings, seeing the church packed, seeing many visitors, and as we began to interact with them, we found out a lot of them were not going to any church at all. And here we were with probably, I had 30 people on my list, and each one of the teams had equal amount. And so we were out visiting all of these people that came to the meetings, and as we were visiting them, we began to hear their stories. And one of them began to tell the story of an angel encounter. An angel encounter with an angel down there in Medford. And as they began to describe it, things began going off in my mind. This sounds very familiar to the story that Jack Cologne said happened with Sharon Halstead years earlier. How an angel of light appeared to her. How an angel of light told her to go and to kill the Green family. And as this woman began to share this story, she began to describe how this angel would appear and actually began to groom this group to accept its words over the words of the Bible. It did miracles for them. It answered their prayers. And as she described this whole encounter, she said, you know, I even saw the Green family in the park that day right before they were shot. Quite a story, isn't it? And what was Sharon Holstead's response as she sat there in the state penitentiary? She's sitting across from her pastor, and she says, it was the hardest thing the Lord asked me to do. She took that angel encounter as a license, somehow from the Lord, to do away with the Green family. She didn't fully succeed. She felt like she actually failed because she only killed uh, part of the family, and some survived wounded. But she certainly felt that she was doing the Lord's will. Now, as I think of those types of encounters, and I think of here we are even in this new year, here in the valley, there is a preparation to receive somebody who communicates with other spirits, communicates with the other side. I believe it would do us well in this new year to reconsider who we're following and what we're following as far as the Word of God. Because as I look at the book of Revelation, it's filled with angel encounters. You look at Revelation chapters 1 through 3, what do you find? To the angel of the church in Ephesus, to the angel in the church, and it goes all the way down, and you have these messengers, these angels. You get on down through Revelation, and you start watching messengers before the throne of God, literally angelic beings, and you get down to chapter 12, and you find angel warfare. And it's not just involving evil angels versus good angels. It's involving you and me, because that's where the chapter progresses. And so as I look at this idea of good and evil angels, and there are lots of angel encounters where even an evil angel, how do you know an evil angel wouldn't save you or do something for you, like answer your prayer, heal people for you, if it could gain your soul? And so that's what this story reminds me of. And it causes me to pause and say, here I am again in another year, I want to retain the same focus I had last year on Jesus, and then some, because the battle is even more real today. 
And so we go to Revelation chapter 12, and it says in verse 1, A great sign was seen in heaven, a woman arrayed with the sun and the moon under her feet, and upon her head a crown of twelve stars. And she was with child, and she cried out, travailing in birth, and in pain to be delivered. And there was seen another sign in heaven, and behold, a great red dragon, seven heads, ten horns, and upon his head seven diadems, or crowns. And his tail draweth the third part of the stars of heaven, and did cast them to the earth. And so we know from this text, as you go back there, there's a woman, there's a man-child, there's a red dragon. We've seen this in recent seminars here, and we know this is talking about the woman is none other than the ecclesia, the called out or the chosen ones, the ones who have been summoned by God since the foundation of the world, according to Ephesians chapter 1. That's you and that's me. They're called saints, yes, but they're the called out ones. We wouldn't be sitting here today if somehow God hadn't gotten our attention, so it's proof that we are still the church today. The question is, which side of this are we on? Are we the faithful church in Revelation chapter 12, or are we part of this unfaithful church in Revelation chapter 13? I want to be part of this faithful church. But the dragon, as you look at the dragon, we know it has seven heads, ten horns, seven crowns, it's red, it has a third of the stars. It's a lot of descriptive characteristics. And we're told later on this is representing the devil. And we're told also that the stars, or the third of the stars, the stars are representing angels. So it's got a third of them. And so the good news, as we've heard many times, is that heaven has two-thirds remaining. As if somehow uh, God's limited to the angels themselves. I mean, he could, couldn't he bring about all kinds of invasions from people from sons of God from other worlds. I mean, you've got Job that talks about that. And so we find the, here's the angels, and further on as we look in the book, we find the ancient serpent's a devil. He's cast down from heaven. He's engaged in rebellion. So even as we're sitting here this morning on a day that's pointing us to the Creator, pointing us to Jesus, he's trying to undermine that and trying to instigate rebellion, not only here amongst our own hearts and our families and our society, and if he could, he'd continue his rebellion scheme throughout the universe, but he's been limited. So we see this microcosm, if you will, this, this small chapter in Revelation that's telling us here is a combat mission going on right now, and it's against you and against me. So it's no wonder then that there would be angels appearing to be from God when they're really not. We find in Isaiah that there are those who would make what is right look wrong and what is wrong look right. And so we find the same thing is happening with these rebellious angels. But how does this serpent get access to our world? And our young people have a sheet that they're filling out, and I'm going to go ahead and ask us as adults to look it up as they write it down. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. We have a hint from Revelation 12 that there is war, and somehow he gets access to our planet. But as we look at 2 Corinthians 11 verses 13 and 14, we see some of the methods that he employs when he is at war here in this world. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 13. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 13. For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. So it is possible for somebody to claim to be a teacher of God or an apostle of Christ or an eyewitness of his majesty, but be false 
We find that's in Revelation as well, when we find there are those in Ephesus who withstood those false apostles. So we know that was taking place long ago. But notice how he goes from there. Paul goes on and says, not only do false apostles masquerade as true ones, in other words, dress up, make themselves look the part, but we also find the evil angels do something similar. It says here in verse 14, and no wonder for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness, whose end will be according to their works. So it's causing us to pause, and Paul is being confronted by false apostles, false ministers, and he's saying the devil himself can transform into an angel of light. There are those who are claiming to be God's teachers who are also masquerading as true teachers of God. So he's encouraging them, as you continue reading Corinthians, hold fast to the good news, to the teaching I have delivered to you. And it's the word of God, right? So that's his safeguard. So as I look at that text and look for a little bit of evidence here, we find how did he get access to our world? Well, we know that he was an angel of light. He fell, and in that fall, eventually he gains access to our world. That's what we know from there. But that text in Revelation also gave us a hint, that old serpent. And so you find a serpent, a man-child, or a seed or offspring, and a woman back in Genesis as well. And so we find 2 Corinthians tells us he has to transform himself into an angel of light, which means he's no longer one, but he was one in the past, since he knows how to look like one. He is the serpent who lost access to God in heaven. And then we find in Revelation 12, he's cast to this earth. And we know from our story of Genesis, and some of you are in your Bible reading plan already, you already read through this, he gained access to our world through our invitation. And that is the crucial matter in angel warfare. How does the devil get a foothold in a relationship between, they say, a husband and a wife? One of them, for whatever reason, is opening up and allowing that influence to influence their relationship. How does it happen in a family? The same thing. How does it happen in a church? The same way. Invitation. So in that regard, in a way, he's similar to God, but he likes to force himself into that situation. But we are the ones who invite him. Either by not standing up against him, not standing up against false teachings, or by just outright, over time, being groomed by him. They're told, we're told that abusers typically groom their ones that they abuse over time. It starts off with little innocent things and touches, and eventually it, we find it grows beyond that. We, uh, those of you who took the shield of vulnerable, you know that, what I'm talking about, the grooming type of thing. And so we have the same thing that happens with evil. You look closely at the Garden of Eden, a grooming mechanism is taking place. He woos the woman. Eventually, he gets her to contradict the very words of God and eventually go against God himself along with her husband. But it all begins with that process of wooing away. And so we're going to add some other concepts into this. We find he was the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. So we know this is more than just the Prince of Tyre because we find this individual was an anointed cherub over in Ezekiel 28. We add this evidence to it. We find he was a covering cherub right there next to God. So therefore, we find he is very dangerous foe to go up against. And I don't know about you, but I, I can't handle him on my own, and neither can you. 
and collectively we could not handle him on our own because one angel of God, or a couple of them sent to the tomb of Jesus, could knock down Roman soldiers. So surely we can't even stand up against that. And he was the, on the holy mountain of God, walking back and forth in the midst of fiery stones. This is the typical way that he gets inroads into the church. This text right here. And if you've got your Bible, underline the words, walked back and forth. Because if you go and you take your Strong's Concordance, you begin researching some of this, and you research also the word later on, your abundance of trade, what is he peddling? What is he going around doing? He's insinuating against God eventually, and that causes that war in heaven we read about in Revelation chapter 12. And we get the word gossip from this walking to and fro, peddling a trade. That's how he gets into the church, typically. And typically what happens is maybe somebody slights you or does something you don't like, and instead of going to them and following the words of Jesus one-on-one, -on -one, you skip over that, and, I, and I've seen it, and sometimes i got to guard against the temptation too, and you go and you talk to others besides talking to that person. So you have, to, you have to watch out here because this is how he trades and infiltrates. And so what do we do? We follow the words of Jesus and we counteract this. We go to each other if we've got issues. And that's what I would say as a group. We need to, especially in this coming year, as the Lord has done some amazing things here at your church already. I'm amazed at what he's already done here. And I'm looking forward and saying, what, Lord, what are you going to do in the future? And he's like, Murray, just encourage the people to stay focused on me. And so I'm pointing to the words of Christ. That's how we counteract this type of behavior. Because then if he gets in there and gets us to insinuate about each other, guess what happens then? We start tearing each other down, and we become agents of Satan. Read the book Great Controversy. You'll find agents of Satan are in every church. So I've told you that before. I'm just saying it again in passing that this is his method. And so whenever it begins to be employed... I stop it right there. It may seem harsh, it may seem abrupt to you, but as a pastor, I'm going to counsel you in that regard. So we find him walking back and forth. We find him eventually having iniquity because of his beauty. So he's, he's looking to himself rather than, who is he supposed to be pointing people to anyway? The one he's the covering cherub for, to God himself. And yet he's looking at himself. That's a key as well. In this coming year, we would do well to look to God and to focus on Him rather than on each other or ourselves. And yes, you can look at your sins, but how do you deal with your sins? You've got to look to Jesus for that. That's why that song, Draw Me Near, was, was talking about going to the cross. Draw me near. And it talks about spending an hour there in that song. Maybe we should spend an hour there every day. That would help me anyway. I know that. It has helped me. It's sustained me through many things. And so we find him looking at others. His heart becomes to be lifted up. He corrupts his wisdom for the sake of his splendor. And Isaiah adds to that, he falls. The shining one, Lucifer, son of the morning, more than just the king of Babylon because we find him being in heaven. He falls and says, I'm going to ascend to heaven. I'm going to exalt my throne above the stars of God. We saw in Revelation what the stars are. And so we find he wants to be above all the angels, not just in function, because he was a covering cherub, but he wants to do something more, doesn't he? he I bet you he, deep down there is a sense, and Davidson confirms this, of wanting worship himself. So he wants people to turn to him rather than to God. 
That's a dangerous place to be. I don't know everything. Do you know everything? I may know something from the Word of God that I'm going to point you to, but I, I don't know everything, so I'm not God, and neither are you. And I can't be everywhere at once, and neither can you. And so we rely on God, not ourselves. And to somehow receive what belongs to God is the same path that's going down here. I remember I've, uh, I've received, I remember one time I put, a, I put a newsletter article in, and I said, I'm not God, because everybody expected me to know where everybody was at and what everybody was doing, and I said, that's omnipresence, right? And, and, and knowing everything, and, and all-powerful. Somehow I'm supposed to be there, and it's going to change everything. And I'm thinking to myself, as that was going on one, one year, I better just write a funny little article in here. And so I wrote it. And so basically it's the same thing. I'm not God. You're not God. He's God. Let him be God and point people to him. That's the safe place to be. He didn't do that. He even wanted to sit on the mount of the congregation to the farthest sides of the north. He wants to receive the worship of God and even sit there in his place. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. Ancient Near East, they saw the clouds as somehow symbolizing angelic beings or heavenly beings. So he wants to ascend above them. And I will be like the Most High or as the Most High, equated with the Most High. So when we talk about the angel warfare in Revelation, we're not just talking about stories of good angels and bad angels. We're talking about someone who wants us, and who is even willing to cripple us spiritually so that we will turn to no other than him rather than to God. That is pretty serious, isn't it? Because as I read Malachi and I read Ezekiel, the fire eventually comes and consumes this individual and all of those who cling to him. So it is a life or death matter in Revelation. It's saying, don't follow this guy. Follow the Lamb. And so he will not stop until he has total control. That's why you also find this increasing conviction from our general conference president on down that we need to be a group of people that talk to each other, that collaborate together, that work together. Because... Not any one of us here has, has all the ideas. We need to rely on each other. And so when we start relying just on ourselves and exalting ourselves, we become just like this foe. And we get that eye problem. We're just looking out for ourselves. And we know that's the middle letter for sin, right? So he wants a higher position than he had? I don't know. And the Lord says we're going to be his ambassadors. That's, that's mind-boggling. That's just mind-boggling to think that in the coming ages, I'm going to even be able to give a word on behalf of, of what God has done. That's humbling. But to say, I'm going to take his position, I just don't know how I could, how I could even go there. Maybe when I was younger, I could have gone there. I could have, yeah. But I know he's humbled me over time. I've gotten to the point where I know I'm not it. And so he wants a higher position. He had a beautiful position right there next to God. Can you imagine? We always say, wouldn't it be wonderful to be right with Jesus all the time, right there like the disciples? He was right there the whole time. And we're not even told how long it was. Many years. And yet he fell. So that's not enough, is it? Oh, I want to be with Jesus. No, we need to trust and have faith in Jesus. I heard a beautiful saying last night. And I'm, having a, and I'm not going to give the whole story because I don't have permission to. But I heard a little boy say, when I asked him, what is it like to be a child of God? He said, it's like getting a hug from Daddy. That closeness, 
I mean, you could literally have Lucifer right there next to the Father. That's not good enough. And of course, somebody else chimed in, if you don't have your whiskers. Uh, so there's something, kids, you know, when they're hugging you real close, they get whiskers when you don't shave. But there was no whiskers. There was nothing separating Lucifer from God. He was right there in the very presence of God. He was experiencing the very thing that we covet when we read the New Testament, being with Jesus, and yet he fell. And so it causes me to pause and say, is there anything that I need to take heed of lest I fall? Like 1 Corinthians 10, 12 says, take heed lest you fall. He wanted an exalted throne, and really his throne is what we see happening in our world today. I read an article from the Voice of the Martyrs this week. It was describing the Muslims and how the oppression of ISIS, not ISIL, ISIS was actually causing people to rethink their faith and their religion. And what is God doing as a loving father? The article went on to describe how in the vacuum of faith, where some of them are totally going away from all faith altogether because of what ISIS is doing. The Muslims are doing this. They're saying, this is not my faith. And some of them are becoming almost atheistic. What does the loving father do? It says right there in the article, he sends a vision of Jesus to them. And in that religious vacuum where they haven't replaced it with anything, He's speaking to these Muslims through dreams, through visions, through angels. And he's gathering some of them right now. And so, yes, we see the rulership of Satan and his dominance. seems like it's crushing people. But God, even in his mercy, is still in control. And so, yes, Lucifer desires his own government. But, unfortunately for him, every move he makes actually helps the government of God. And that's a powerful thought as I think of this new year. Because God is love. And everything is going to work out for us and everyone to see in the onlooking universe that his way is best. His way is not compulsion. He is love. Is love. He doesn't change. Doesn't the Bible say he's the same yesterday, today, and forever? He doesn't change. Here we are in 2016. What's God going to do? The same thing that he wants to do. He wants us, though I believe, covets, if you want to use the word, desires us to intercede, though. Because can you imagine how much more God can do if human beings give him permission to work in a situation? He took me through my life, and he said, somebody was interceding for you right there. That's why you didn't die when you were born. He took me through later on through my life. He said, somebody was interceding for you, and that's why you didn't go on to be the person the devil wanted you to be. And as I look through our world today, We need more of that intercessory prayer. And that's why that 10 days of prayer is a yearly focus we're going to have. Yearly. Just saying, Lord, use me in this world that Satan wants to dominate. Use me to show your love to a dying world. And so the Bible says God is love. And what's he going to use in his warfare? Truth in a loving way. And sometimes the loving way is is somewhat abrupt. We find that in the Old Testament. Sometimes he has to literally send someone and say, you're doing the wrong thing. Repent, you brood of vipers. You find John the Baptist preaching that. Sometimes it does seem abrupt. But I can imagine John when he does say that. Can you imagine looking at people who are basically the pastors and the clergy of your day and saying, brood of vipers. I mean, there's got to be more into it than just I'm mad at you. Can you imagine John wishing deep down if they would change instead of being the sons of the serpent, if they would change what a power they would be. And so, yes, we tell the truth. We do it in love. And we use that method in this new year.
We don't set our hearts to be as God. Instead, we look to Jesus and how he faces the challenge. And this is really the, the way the war is won every day of our lives. The war is won because of the man-child in Revelation chapter 12. The man-child whom the dragon wants to devour. The man-child whom it says here the dragon stands before that woman and who wants to kill him right at his birth. And it says that she was delivered of a son, a male child, who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. Everybody knows, if they know their Old Testament and their Jewish roots, they know that's talking about none other than the Messiah of Psalm chapter 2. And her child was caught up to God and to his throne, and the woman fled into the wilderness for 1,260 days. And so we find now what happens is, as the man-child comes, bears the price for us, answers the challenge of this warfare, he then gives that task to the church, and so therefore Lucifer pursues the church as well. Why do we have bad things gonna, that are going to happen to the people of God this year? Because Satan is raging and mad towards the people of God as well. Of all the people that you'd want to get rid of would be the ones that are somehow standing in your way. That's the way he works. It's not the way we work. That's the way he works. And so he wants to kill the man-child, even though he knows that that man-child is going to come back and rule and eventually crush him as well. Doesn't that remind you of something? That there was one who would come to crush the head of the serpent? Yeah, it does. And eventually this man-child is at the throne of God, and Revelation 19 and Psalm 2 make it clear who this man-child is. It's none other than the King of kings and Lord of lords. Even if we think we've got some little edge on the world here, some wealth or some influence or some whatever, it's nothing. Because look at, he's the one who's going to rule forever and ever. And he's coming soon. And we're standing on his ground, not our own. And so we find he will come eventually. And Satan, in the meantime, as we looked in the text, he goes after the woman who has to flee into the wilderness where she has a place prepared from God. And eventually she comes out. And the Revelation 12 goes on, and there was war in heaven. So it's, it's like you get this summary, and now you see some more details. And these details are what we just saw in the Old Testament. Basically, there was this war in heaven between Lucifer and, and God. He literally went after God himself, and Lucifer and him were thrown down to the earth. And it says, here's how we have victory. I heard a great voice in heaven saying, now has come the salvation, the power, the kingdom of our God, and the authority of his Christ. Didn't he say, all authority has been given to me? Authority of his Christ, for the accuser of our brethren is cast down, who accuseth them before our God day and night. And how do we overcome? By the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. And in the coming months, we're going to, during our prayer time here at our church, we're going to try to find ways to segue your testimonies into our worship service as we go into this coming year. But even if that doesn't take place, in our daily lives, it's coming from the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. And it gets to the point where we don't even care about our lives. Maybe you care about others. That's, that's fine. I care about others more than yourself. That's great. But it, and take care of yourself. I'm not saying not to do that. But really, when it comes down to it, you're thinking of others first. This is the victory salvation, power, and the kingdom, and the authority of Jesus. And what is this talking about? It's talking about the cross. That is where decisively evil was handled in the most loving way possible by saying, I will even suffer your abuse, what your dominion looks like, what you would do to each human being in this world, 
so that each human being can go free if they want to. That's what the cross says. It shows us what, how the depths of what Satan will go to, to even mutilating the Son of God himself, God himself. He would mutilate him on his throne. He would mutilate him on the cross. He would mutilate him any way he could. And the same thing goes to us. He would do the same to us. And look at how God handles it. He says, I would rather take that than to lose any human being in this world. Any human being in this world. And so if this voice is greeting you this new year, and it's saying to you something, it's saying this, you and I are of eternal value to Jesus. The cross proves that. And so we find the cross purchases salvation. It wasn't just showing the love of God, it was proving the love of God and making a transaction so you and I can go free. So he can say, you've already abused me, you've got to leave Murray alone. He's trusting in me. Fill your name in there. He's already abused Jesus. He's got to leave you alone because you're trusting in him. And so I believe in this year, then we should spend that thoughtful hour each day focusing on the closing scenes of Jesus' life. And next week's going to build to that, and the week after on the 16th, it's going to be a whole service from start to finish, an hour focusing on the life of Christ. And on the 16th, we're going to give you a devotional guide to help you, if you want to use it, use it, to daily spend that hour with Jesus, focusing on his victory. And I'm going to move on. The Savior is the answer. The cross shows that God is doing everything he can to save us, and that Satan is doing everything he can to destroy us. The cross shows us his resolve when he says, I'm willing to die for my people. I would rather die than take away their choice. I would rather die than become like Lucifer and become a dominion-type ruler, one who dominates and takes away choice. But he can only rule in our lives if we invite him to. So today, I want to invite him to do that. How about you? I want him to win the angel warfare that's going on over my heart and my soul today and each day of 2016 and each day until he comes. Because it says to him who loved us, he washed us from our sins in his own blood. That was the price that was paid. And Revelation 12 says we overcome by that blood. And so how do we overcome the strong foes? Well, we know him by knowing his truth. We know him by recognizing that we don't have that love. We want that love. And like I've said, we're going to focus on Jesus, especially here at these first Sabbaths in 2016. So next week and this week, spend time in prayer. You got those prayer guides? Those things are wonderful. It's about abiding in Jesus. I, mean, I, don't, I can't think of a better way to start the new year. And each morning, just get up and take one of those and, and read through it. Pray for your church family. If you feel like calling somebody and praying for them, pr call and pray for them. Pray with them. And just spend that time with the Lord. And beside your, your quarterly time and beside your Bible reading time. And then we're going to find a beautiful text that comes to reality. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, the whole Old Testament, the whole New Testament, telling us, look to Jesus. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us. How can I do that? I'm going to look in the mirror. I'm going to be an overcomer today. Is that it? No. It says here, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. That is how the sin becomes weightless. That is how the besetting sins are put away. That is how those things that have been passed down from generations can be totally cleansed away, is by looking to Jesus. So here we are. I want to look to Jesus. He's sitting there at the right hand of the throne of God. In fact, he was willing to give up all positions, unlike Lucifer, give up everything 
to save you and me. That's a powerful God, isn't it? I, there's a vision that comes to us in our history. Vision of 1844, and in case you want to have an vi- uh, interesting quotation to look at, this is from Ellen White. There they were, discouraged. There they were, looking toward the future and wondering what's going to happen because Jesus didn't come in 1844. And she has this vision of encouragement. And I want to read it to you here this first Sabbath in 2016. I seem to be surrounded with light, to be rising higher and higher from the earth. I turn to look for the Advent people. That's what this is about. didn't say necessarily Seventh-day Adventists, but those who are looking for the coming. And I couldn't find them. When a voice said to me, look again and look a little higher. At this, I raised my eyes and I saw a straight and narrow path. Sounds similar to the words of Jesus, doesn't it? It was cast up high above the world. On this path, the Advent people were traveling to the city, which was at the farther end of the path. That's that song we sang about. Going to the promised land. They had a bright light set up behind them at the beginning of the path, which an angel told me was the midnight cry. That was that message, get ready to meet the Lord. This light shone all along the path, and it gave light for their feet so that they might not stumble. If they kept their eyes fixed on Jesus, if they kept their eyes fixed, fixed on Jesus, who was just before them, he's right there in front of us, leading us, isn't he? Leading them to the city, if they did that, they were safe. But soon, some grew weary and said to the city was a great way off. They expected to have entered it before. Then Jesus would encourage them by raising his glorious right arm, and from his arm came a light which waved over the Advent van, and they shouted, Hallelujah! Others rashly denied the light behind them. That's that beautiful message that we have. And said that it was not God that had led them out so far. The light behind them then went out, leaving their feet in perfect darkness, and they stumbled and lost sight of the mark and of Jesus and fell off the path down into the dark and wicked world below. Isn't that a sad story in a way? Sad vision? It challenges us, and it goes on from there. You can read it. There's the place to find it. But if we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, spending that time each day with him, then we won't deny how God has led us in the past, and we won't distrust how he's going to lead us in the future. We'll just keep following him all the way. And guess what then? I don't know about you, but if I'm walking on that path and I see others who are discouraged or need encouragement, I'm going to encourage, come on guys. If, if I see others who are not even on the path, come on, let's go. I'm going to share that beautiful message with them as well. And so yes, we focus on Jesus in this new year, but we also share him like we've never shared him before. There are so many open doors that God has opened for this very year, for this very time. It's time for us to step through them. And so how do we win an angel warfare? Pretty simple, isn't it? Let's keep it simple. Let's focus on Jesus. Let's follow him. Let's spend that time getting to know him and sharing him with others. If that's not exciting enough for you, you might want to go find another place because that's where we're going to be focusing on this whole year. Jesus. Nothing but Jesus. And if you don't think that involves prophecy and everything else that we believe, you have another thing coming. It has everything to do with our very foundation. He is our foundation. He is who we're focusing on. And I don't know about you, but I want 
Jesus. Our closing song is to that effect. And what I want you to do is sing it. And after we sing it, I'm just going to ask us to kneel for prayer, okay? And that's a time for you to have a moment of silence with the Lord. And then I'll have the closing prayer right after that, all right? So we're going to sing this song, Lord, give me Jesus. But then after that, I'm going to invite you to spend time with him just briefly, saying, Lord, point me to you in this new year. However you want to word it, that'll be right after our closing song. And then I'll have the closing prayer. I invite you to stand with me. And we, we sing this song, Give Me Jesus. Give him your silent allegiance as we begin this new year.
Father in heaven, what a beautiful thing it is to be a child of God. It's like getting a hug from you. And so we pray, Lord, in this year that you would guide us in this angel warfare that's all around us and even in our own lives. Help us to stay focused on Jesus. May he lead us all the way to your embrace. We pray in his name. Amen.